Thank you, guys. Thank you, praise team. Thank all of you for taking part in worship this morning. I tell you, I'm blessed just to be able to be here and worship. Thank you so much. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. Always bring your Bible. We don't know when the other screen will go out, all right? That's, just remember that. This is a man-made. If you got the Word in your hand, don't count on your phone. It may not pull up. You know how that goes. So, uh, <laughs> Luke chapter 19. We had an issue during Bible school, and, and uh, so it worked out. And so we'll get this worked out pretty soon. And so, until then... Um, follow along in your Bible and we'll continue. Luke chapter 19. I want to share with you a sermon I've entitled this morning, Occupy Until I Come. If you're reading from the King James Version, that's what that's going to, they're going to use the word occupy. And then uh, we'll see in a moment in regards to the New King James what uh, that translation says. Luke chapter 19. We're going to begin reading with verse 11 and uh, read through I'll tell you what, uh, well, we'll read through 11 through 13, and we'll refer to some other verses. If you have an opportunity, when you go home, read that whole chapter and, um, of the parable of the minus. And so uh, let God speak to you thoroughly by doing that. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one they've been waiting for, looking for, waiting for, and now he's here. And they're thinking that he's going to set up his kingdom immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And so he called ten of his servants and he delivered to them ten minas. And said to them, do business till I come. Now the King James Version says, occupy until I come. Do business till I come, occupy. We're going to see how those two, those two definitions tie together. May we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to come into your presence today and worship you. And now, Father, to open your word. Father, we know that it's the inspired inerrant, infallible Word of God. And so, Father, help us to keep that in mind each time that we open the pages of your Word. And, Father, your Word is true. And you take your Word and you apply it to our hearts individually. And so each person today has been spoken to, including myself, in different ways perhaps, but allow your Spirit to have the freedom to go from person to person, from chair to chair, and convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And Father, may your will be done during an invitation time, your invitation, as people surrender their will to your will. And Father, I pray now that you'll receive honor and glory that's due only to you. Give me the words to say, the right spirit to say them in, and I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Occupy until I come. Luke chapter 19, we find Jesus on kind of the brink of entering Jerusalem in what would later be called his triumphant enter, his triumphant entry. 
And he'd been heading for Jerusalem ever since chapter 9 of Luke, verse 51. And all along the way, Jesus had been predicting his suffering, predicting his rejection, predicting his death that awaited him in Jerusalem. But his disciples kind of shrugged all that off. They really weren't paying him any mind, really weren't paying any attention in what he was saying. Because they were thinking that once he arrived in Jerusalem, he would declare himself to be a king, he'd set up his kingdom, and they would get rid of the Romans once and for all. However, Jesus was thinking, not so fast, don't get in such a hurry. The kingdom to come is not going to be that quick. They wasn't listening to anything he was saying, really. The disciples were way ahead of Jesus in their thinking. You ever get in a hurry? You ever get in a hurry? They were in a hurry. But you know, fast is not always good. It's good to be quick at times, but then you need to slow down at times. Quick in some things, slow in other things. You know, we have a, we have a number of runners that uh, are in our church family or in our circle of friends. And um, there are two primary classes of runners, I found. I don't know that much about running. But I found out, first of all, there's these short-distant runners. They run 50-yard dash. They run a 100-yard dash. The point of that is you give all you have for a short distance. I mean, you just put everything you have into it from the from the starting point until you cross the finish line. All you have for short distance, short distance runners. And then you have these long distance runners. They run the 5K and the 10K. They run the half marathon. They run the full marathon. They run the triathlon. Never ran any of those. Not many short distance. But you have some that run long distance. And it takes a lot of training, it takes a lot of investment, it takes a lot of time, a lot of practice for a long distance, then short distance. They run a long way. And so the point is the disciples at this time were willing to be short distant believers. Short distant believers. We want the kingdom now. We want the kingdom today. Jesus set up the kingdom now, short-distant believers. But Jesus is saying to them, hey, not today. I'm not going to set it up today. And then to illustrate that, something very important, one reason why he's waiting, he tells them a parable. Now, a parable is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. You know where I learned that? I was taught that in Bible school. Years ago, a parable is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so Jesus speaks to them in a parable about the need to practice this long-distance Christianity. Not short distance, but a long-distance Christianity. Look, if you will, back at verse 12. Therefore he said, here's the parable, and I'm just going to read the introduction to it, and you read the rest of it later. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then to return. And so he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business until I come. Notice verse 13. King James says, 
occupy till I come. New King James says, do business till I come. And so therefore you have the Lord of heaven and he's waiting for this consummation of his kingdom. And so he gives each one of those in the parable, ten of those, each one a substance, uh, an amount. And he says this, here's what I'm giving you and I want you to occupy. I want you to do business. I want you to occupy. I want you to do business. I want you to use it. I want you to labor with it. I want you to trade it. I want you to do business with it. Until I return, I want you to take what I've given to you and benefit the kingdom with it. Take what I've given to you and benefit the kingdom. So first of all, if you're taking notes, you, a gift is given. A gift is given. Now, he, in this case, he's, he's speaking about money. Um, really, it amounts to about 50 bucks, our money today. And so he speaks with this parable, this earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, notice what he says. Now, the nobleman, and the nobleman was a king. And listen, there's, there's, there's none other than King Jesus. Jesus is not just a king. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. Romans 19 explains it this way. Verse 16, he, speaking of Jesus, has on his vesture or has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so notice, this nobleman, the king, delivered, or he gave, meaning he delivered, he handed over, ten minus. Now, in this parable, he's speaking about money. So the point is, he gave his servants what they needed to make an investment to the kingdom. I'm giving this to you. I want you to invest it in the kingdom. Now he's done the same. He did the same. He, he's done the same for us as he did for them. A servant. He gave his servants then. He gives his servants today. Remember the definition of a servant? A servant, a believer who serves the Lord without considering the sacrifice. A servant is someone that just gets the job done. It was wonderful this past week as we saw 50 servants serving our children, getting the job done. Now, there's a difference between serving and volunteering. Remember that? A volunteer serves when it's convenient. But a servant serves without considering the sacrifice that they're having to make. They just want to get the job done. Therefore, God's given each believer, now listen up, each believer the necessary gifts to make an investment in the kingdom work. So instead of giving you money to invest into the kingdom, God has given you as a believer spiritual gifts. At least one, perhaps more than one. Now what's the purpose for that? For you to invest in the kingdom work. You say, Brother Sammy, do I have a gift? Well, look at 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 12, I believe it is. 1 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 1. 
Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. So this chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts all the way through the end of the chapter, really. Verse 7, chapter 12 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So the Spirit is the one, the Holy Spirit is the one. When you get saved, or when you got saved, the Holy Spirit gave you, manifested to you, a certain gift, perhaps more than one. I believe everyone has the gift of discernment. You can tell if a preacher's speaking the truth or not. Something in you says, hey, that's not true. I mean, that's not Bible there. That's a a gift of discernment. I believe all Christians have the gift of discernment. But there are other gifts. Verse 11 through 22, listen to this. But one and and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. You have what you have as a spiritual gift because God gave it particularly to you. That's yours. Verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, he's speaking of the church, but all the members of that one body being many or one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. We were baptized into one body by the Holy Spirit. Whether Jews or Greek or slave or free, we have been made to drink into one spirit. Verse 14, For in fact the body is not one member but many. Picture the physical bodies, comparing the church to the physical body. Verse 15 says, If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I'm not the body, is it therefore the body? If the ear should say, Because I'm not the eye, am I not of the, am I not of the body, is it therefore the body? Sure it is. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were a hearing, where would be the smelling? Each part of the body, each member of this congregation has a unique role to play in this congregation, a unique role to serve in this congregation. If, if you're using the gift that God gave you before you ascended to heaven, keep in mind, he gave it for you to invest it in the kingdom work, and one day he's coming back again to see how well you did with it. Look, if you will, at um, verse 19. And if all were one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, verse 20, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Um, No, much more. Those members, look at this, of the body which seem to be weaker. King James says feeble. They're necessary also. So don't think you get too old to serve the Lord. Don't think you retire from a secular job and retire from the church. You serve the Lord till you die. He calls you home. My goodness, look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. You got that? You're the body of Christ and members individually. So the point is the King of Kings has given you a believer, given me a believer, a gift or gifts for you to invest in the kingdom work, for us to invest in the kingdom work, to profit with all, to build up the body. You practice your spiritual gifts. It may be teaching. It may be ministry, whatever it is, and it builds up the body of Christ. And when you're not practicing your spiritual gift, the body here 
is handicapped. We'll go along, we'll get along, got to see to that. But think how much more we could do if all the members were using their spiritual gifts. Wow. First, there's a gift given. Secondly, there's a command given. Do business till I come. Occupy till I come. Occupy doesn't mean you just fill up space. <laughs> it means you're doing business for the Lord. Okay? So, take your gifts, use it, labor with it, put it to work for the king and the kingdom. Now, believe it, now this is real important, so listen up. Jesus is saying, invest yourself in the kingdom work. Now, why did he say that? For a believer, there is nothing more on God's green earth than for you as a believer to be invested in the kingdom work. I don't care what you do secular. I don't care what you do whenever, wherever. The most important thing you can do as a believer is invest yourself in the kingdom work. That's what he said. Now the big question is this. Are you occupying? Are you working? Are you serving? Are you investing in the kingdom work? Simply, are you putting your gifts to work? You see, when a long-distance runner is in a race, I understand they have to stay focused. They have to set their mind. First, they set their mind. I can do this. I really believe. I've trained. I mean, I've worked hard. And I think, I know I can do this. So they set their mind. Then they set their eyes. They set their mind. They set their eyes. They set their eyes on the next mile marker. Oh, man, I got one down. I see another one. I'm going to it. I see another one. I'm going to it. So they got their mind set. They got their eyes set. They see that water station. The best thing to see is that finish line, and they know they're almost there. But you know, the problem with so many today, the problem with so many believers, the problem that we experience is that is maintaining that focus in the Christian race. I'm going to list a few things real quick. Jot these down that will take your eyes off the race. Be careful with this. Just some things... That, that will take your eyes off the race, prevent you from investing your spiritual gift. Jot this down. First of all, the world will cause you to lose focus. The world will cause you to lose focus. Jot down Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. God's Word says, Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Get your mind off the earth, get your mind out of the world, and set your mind on the things of God. If you don't, you're going to lose focus and investing in the kingdom work. James 4, verse 4. Listen to what he says. James 4, verse 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes him, therefore, an enemy of God. Make a choice. The world of God. It's always been that way. If you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. If you're a friend of God, you're an enemy to the world. But your choice, your choice. Matthew, I believe Matthew chapter 16. Did I give you that one, uh, Chris? Matthew chapter 16. I'll read it off the screen. For what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world? 
and he loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for a soul? What profit is it if you invest in the world and not the kingdom and lose your soul? What would you give in exchange for your soul? So if you're not as committed to the king and his kingdom as you once were, you need to ask yourself a question. Am I worldly? Am I too engulfed in the world? Where were you a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago in regards to serving the kingdom? Has that changed any? Am I getting too worldly? Worldliness will cause you to lose your focus. Number two, your job will cause you to lose your focus. Now, I know everybody has to work. Everybody has to make a living. I understand that. I pray for people to have jobs. And I pray for people who've been laid off that they'll they'll be called back. I pray for people to have jobs, to keep jobs. I know the importance of making a living, paying the bills, providing for our family. And really, that's a God thing for us to do. God's Word says, if you won't provide for your own, especially those in your own household, you're worse than an infidel. Work. That's what he's saying. It began in the garden when man sinned against God. God said, you're going to dig from the thorns and the thistles the rest of your life. Work. (laughs) Work was given to man all the way back in Genesis for a reason, for a purpose. And it's a God thing. It's a good thing. That's why God gave you six days to work and one day to rest and to worship Him. Six days. To work one day to rest and worship Him. Be careful. Be careful. You have to be careful about your job because if you're not careful, greed will be lurking at your door. And that's all you'll be able to think about. So in the process, in counting your surplus and building bigger barns, you're going to lose your focus, invest in your spiritual gifts for the king and the kingdom. So the world will cause you to lose focus. Your job will cause you to lose focus. And then I've noticed more recently, tragedy and trials will cause you to lose focus in the Christian race. Perhaps the death of a loved one. That'll slow you down. Have to be careful. You go through a grieving process. I understand that. I've been there. Most of you have. It doesn't have to be the death of a loved one. It can be the loss. A significant loss brings grief. It may be the loss of a job. It may be the loss uh, of a pet. I don't know. But you go through this grieving process. But anyway, that will cause you to lose focus if you're not careful. A tornado will cause you to lose focus. We had people after the tornado that never came back to church. Lost focus. And then how about a pandemic? How about COVID-19? Well, that caused you to lose focus. Some have just dropped out of the race altogether. Really? What did the king say in Luke 19? Say anything about dropping out? You see, in order to get through our times of tragedy, we have to do everything possible to maintain our focus on Him. Regardless of what you're going through, always maintain your focus, whether it's a death of a loved one, whether it's a tornado, an act of nature, whether it's a COVID-19, you've got to stay focused on Him. 
We have to stay in the Word, study the Word, hear the Word, claim the promises of the Word, meet together and worship Him, even as more so as we see the day approaching. Not less, but more so. So in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have tests. You're going to have trials. Drop out. No. He said, he don't say drop out. He says, be a good chair. I've overcome the world. John 16, 33. So you have a, a gift given, a command given. Occupy, do business till I come. And then third, I'm going to close with this. There's a return expected. Occupy till I come. Do business till I come. And that's just saying there in verse 13, that's saying, uh, you know, there's something that we know for certain. Mark this down. You know this for certain. Jesus was born. I know that for certain. Luke chapter 2. Jesus died. I know that for certain. Luke chapter 23 and other places in gospel. Jesus arose, Luke 24. Jesus is coming again in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 11 says this. He says, Men of Galilee, an angel saying, Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you've seen him or as you saw him go to heaven or go into heaven. I know that for certain. You, you can you can know without a shadow of a doubt he was born, he died, he arose, and he's coming again. You can count on it. The point is Jesus is saying to them, he said to us in Luke 19, I'm going away for a little while, but in the meantime, I'm still king and there's still work to be done on my behalf. And don't ever forget that. He says, in fact, while I'm away, my work can only be done through you. If the believer doesn't do the work for the Lord, who's going to do it? I'm going away for a while, but my work has got to be done through you. You are my hands. You are my feet. You are my voice. You are my ears. You are my eyes. You have to do the work for me. And if you don't do business, if you don't occupy, nothing will happen and the gospel is too important just to lay idle. A gift given, a command given, and a return expected. One of my favorite hymns was written by Philip P. Bless. And I went back and I pulled the old Broadman Hill, Brother Jerome, and it's in there. Wish we still would sing it from time to time. The title of this hymn is Let the Lower Lights Be Burning. Man, I sung that many times. Never knew the history of it. But it was written out of a tragic incident that came to pass in Philip Bliss's life. A passenger ship had followed this great lighthouse to the mouth of a harbor. And by, but the lower lights, those lights that twinkle along to guide the ship through the shoals and through the rocks and through the reefs and through the sandbars, they weren't shining that night for some reason. 
And that night the ship foundered on a reef, on a rock. And as it tried to enter the harbor, it couldn't move and it was battered against the rocks. And that ship went down and all the people lost their lives. All of them were drowned there and lay in the bottom of the ocean. And Bliss writes this song about those lower lights. Brightly beams our Father's mercy from his lighthouse evermore. But to us he gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. You see the big lighthouse going out, the long light. But left to us are the lights along the shore. Let the lower lights be burning. Send a gleam across the wave. Some poor fainting, struggling seamen, you may rescue, you may save. Dark the night of sin has settled, loud the angry billows roar. Eager eyes are watching, longing for the lights along the shore. Let the lower lights be burning, send a gleam across the wave. Some poor fainting, struggling seamen, you may rescue, you may save. Trim your feeble lamps, my brother. Some poor sailor, tempest-tossed, trying now to make the harbor in the darkness may be lost. Let the lower lights be burning. Send a beam across the wave. Some poor soul, some poor fainting, struggling seaman, you may rescue, you may save. Now we all know we need the great lighthouse means the light shining from God. But we also need the little lights that guide into the harbor. And friend, listen, that's you. And that's me. Work. For he comes again. Occupy until I come. Invest yourself in the kingdom work. Be able when he comes to to lay it all down in front of him and be able to say truthfully, Lord, I've done my best in the kingdom work. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had just to focus upon your word this morning and our responsibility to use the spiritual gifts that you've given us in the kingdom work. Help us not to be slothful and lazy Help us, Lord, to be those lights, those lights among the shore. Lord, as the great light brings people close to us, that we might share the great news and the great news, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you're going to do this morning. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.